This is Sam Caligioni, founder and CEO of Dogfish Head Brewery, and you are listening to At The Bar Podcast. Cheers. Let's see here. Wang it up. (laughs) I'll leave that in there. (laughs) We go wang it up. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Usual suspects. I am one of two, one of your co hosts, Mike, and join me as always on every Sunday. We got the El Jefe Hollywood, El Capitan. Uh, Oh, man, many nicknames. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm here. So, kind of want to get into it. This article came up. Uh, oh, what is the, what's that sound? Mm, I had to. Well, I just had to put it up there and, and crack it because it's such an exciting beer to be drinking tonight. I have oh, one, of oh, one of Preston's. Oh shit! Here we go. And I asked his permission to uh, open it on the show and critique it, and he said absolutely. So this is his saison that he sent me over. Um, and just immediately you smell it. It is, it's awesome. It's got a great nose on it. You can smell almost like, I don't know. It's, it's going to sound like a knock on it, but it's not, it sounds, it smells almost like, um, Pilsnery or, or very, um, I don't know, malt forward, uh, for, for a Saison style. It's not like a tart smell kind of, it's more of like a, a, a lagered or a, I know it's an ale, but a, a, almost like a like a pilsner with a little bit of fruit notes to it, but I haven't even tried it yet. Okay, like if you just heard me crack it open. Yeah, already going off script, and I love it. <laughs> well, I had to. Do it. I had to. You what know, script? I had to get it. So this is yeah. awesome, actually. Um, which, of course, is no surprise. It's Preston's beer. It's awesome. Um, right. Very short, crisp flavor. Um, I don't know what the ABV is. He did not give me the details on that, but I'm sure he'll be able to fill you in and let you know. Um, yeah. But very short, crisp. Very uh, subtle fruit notes. Um, I, I, it's good. It's got enough. It's got really good flavor that you pack into a very short, crisp kind of finish. And it's it's very enjoyable. I mean, I could drink like the intention of a Saison. You can drink probably 15 of these. I could I could definitely yeah. crush 15 of these in one sitting. It's a very good beer. Yeah. he uh, All his beers that he gave me are at, at the, the uh, brewery. So I can't open up my, my Saison uh, yet because I kept them out in the brewery because I like – sharing with with people and kind of spreading the word of Babero as much as I can. Um do you have his wit? His wit? I did. I already uh, I already drank his wit and I already drank the um the, the chocolate peanut butter. The most recent chocolate peanut butter. I do have his breakfast stout still in the fridge. I was okay. considering doing that tonight, but I didn't want to do too many dark beers tonight, so I wanted to start with something light. Sure. I might get into that uh after this one is done. If yeah. uh you know, if we, if we get there, you know, if I'm drinking yeah, that yeah, much, yeah. Tonight, we'll see. But no, I love, uh, I really like this beer a lot. It's it definitely true to style. Um, the nose was kind of a little, a little bit just, I don't know if it, it just surprised me that that was the nose on it or not, but it just, um, but the flavor and everything comes through perfectly. That's super crisp, super light, nice little fruit note to it. Um, really good beer. Yeah. So I want you to go through. So Preston was in town uh, last week, I believe. And uh, we tried, me, him, his buddy Will, shout out to Will, a couple of the people uh, at the brewery all shared his wit. Now, mm-hmm. we all know it's no secret that I am very much 
not in the Belgians, unless it's Barrel of Monks. Shout out to Barrel of Monks at Boca Rickstone. I had his wit, and that might be the best wit I've ever had in my entire life. No, just whatever's left in the bottom. Like, um, it was so good. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Wit. Oh, well, I don't know about all that, all right? But I'm it definitely <laughs> is right up there with it. It's this F, the one and two. That's like, for me, for that's sure. one and two. Absolutely. As if, okay, so as I just said, I'm not going to get into the dark beers. <laughs> Cassie, <laughs> Cassie opened up her beer for the night, and it is uh-huh. Samoa Samoa This Imperial Dessert Stout. Dude, I from actually just Southern picked that Tier, up yesterday. From yeah. Southern Tier. <laughs> so she cracked that bad boy open, and so now I got to try that it. That is nasty good like so good right yeah so that's the girl that's the girl scout cookie samoas so that's all the young thing is like yo bro that's fire it smells exactly like the freaking cookies oh my god can't wait for you to try it here we go he sips passes it along that's unbelievable (laughs) that's so fucking good oh my god How many of these do we have? We need more of these. <laughs> How many of these do we have? Oh my god! The mint chocolate chip ones were like garbage compared to this. This thing's amazing. Oh, yeah. This is the best out of, wow. out of all of them. This is my absolutely opinion. incredible. So it's an it a stout uh, brewed with pink Himalayan sea salt, natural chocolate, coconut, and caramel flavor. So the coca this might be the, my favorite coconut beer that I've ever had. That you think that's better than Lauder Ale? I think that is my favorite coconut beer Holy I've ever shit. I've ever tasted. That beer is phenomenal. I'm so oh, surprised. Man. Like I I I I mean I'm not surprised, but I mean they always have great beers. But I just after after the thick mint one that I was not wildly uh, in favor of because I love thin mint cookies, and that one I don't think lived up to the to the Girl Scout cookie. But holy moly, is this thing freaking amazing! Yeah, what sucks is that's a that's a seasonal beer. I wish they had oh, that here all year, man. Just that one. Dude, they that, just did a cherry cordial, cherry cordial one I haven't had yet. A brand new brewery could open, and that could be their only flagship beer, and they'd make it just because of that. Oh like, yeah, that beer is phenomenal. Samoa wow. this by Southern Beer. Oh yeah, Samoa this. Here's get that. Beer. Get that beer. It's very pricey, but get five it. Five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> But it is a five out of five, in my opinion. That is a, a dessert stout worth buying for sure. Holy oh, crap. Good. And I went to Total One the other day, and uh, I saw it on the shelf right next to Bourbon County Stout, and I was like, oh, shit. Which, <laughs> which, it's funny, too, because Bourbon County has that huge following and everything, and I would pick this up over Bourbon County ten, nine times oh, out of yeah. ten. Oh, yeah. It was right next to the, uh, the reg and then the barley one that's still on shelf somehow. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, well, you. I mean, oh, shit. their their uh, creme brulee beer is absolutely phenomenal. Um, chalkwork. That's orange. too. That's too much for me. Right? Ch- is that chalkwork? Yeah, that's chalkwork. No, 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 that chalk chocolate chalk chocolate. But they had chocolate. Two, two separate beers. Right. The creme no, chalkwork orange is creme, it's, yeah. There's a chocolate orange one that's southern tier, right. and then chalkwork orange is funky boot, I believe. Right. But um. But yeah. So they have creme I mean, brulee. All of their, Creme brulee is unreal. That beer That's is so sweet, sweet for me. Oh, excuse but me. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, we just got off on a southern tier. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, shout out so to we're back. We're back. We're back. Some more of this. Five out of five. Okay. Um, I should be. So you're talking about the wit. The wit was good. Yes. Thank you. Um. Yeah. So the, the wit was, was good. Yes. Um. Definitely, I can agree. I like presses a little bit more than the wizard, but definitely easily one and two for sure. Hands if, down. I, 
if I had, if I had two, you know, if I had two of each and then I was going back at that point, they're so comparable. And I mean, I think they're, they're right on par with each other. I could, I could drink them back to back and, and enjoy them both equally. They're oh, great. Yeah. I mean, you just know I'm, I'm a wit, I'm a wit guy. I'm a wit guy. <laughs> so, all right. So there's an article came out. Let's get to the topic. Cause this is going to be very interesting here. Uh, let's see. I'm pulling, I have the article up cause I'm prepared. Yes, we are. Uh, we are. Totally. We are prepared. So this is That's in Orlando. We're going to wing it, though. <laughs> We're going to. Yeah, I haven't read the full article. I just have it pulled up, guys. Bear with me. <laughs> Making moves. So this is from the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, the con- contact reporter is Kyle Arnold, and it's got published for for those people who who you know are curious. Uh, June twenty sixth, twenty eighteen, and it's called uh, Seven Things. I got. I got to scroll up here. It is uh, seven seven ways Orlando's craft beer brewing scene is changing in 2018, and this is gonna piggyback on last episode, to where we kind of you know took a break for a little bit, and then you know the last episode was a little bit shorter, but definitely want to hit this one really good because I've been saving this uh, topic for a couple weeks now. Um, so let's just get into it. Uh, Jeff hasn't lived in Orlando for for a little for a little bit, but two years, man, yeah, two years next week. week. But we talk pretty regularly, and and he's pretty much a resident, <laughs> you know. I, you know, and I go up there <laughs> yeah. enough that yeah. when I go up and we see, we go to the place, we go to the good places and stuff. So yeah. I know, yeah. you know. So you're and pretty was, informed for, for living in Jupiter. Very yeah, informed, as Not as more informed than as you can be Orlando as remote, yeah, as a remote <laughs> non Orlando. Yeah. yeah. So Kyle Arnold. Uh, so let's go into his article. Point one of seven ways. Seven things to know about craft beer in Orlando or whatever the hell I just said. Uh, number one, it's growing still. Central Florida got a late start to craft brewing, which we've been saying since day one. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's hustling to catch up. By the end of 2018, there will, there will be more than 30 breweries in Central Florida with two opening this week at the time of the article. They're now open. Toll Road in Ocoee mm-hmm. and then Ivanhoe Brewing on Friday. So this article, so the, both of those breweries opened I don't know. I'm going to release release this. Um, the last week in June. Um, yeah. So right before Fourth of July, the the Wednesday and Friday before the Fourth of July, they both open. Uh, two days apart. Uh, I give a shout out to Toll Road. I've hung out with those guys. They were at our homebrew fest. Um, so they're good friends of the show. So mm-hmm. uh, I want to check them out next time. Jeff's in town. We can shoot on over. Hell yeah. And stuff. It's about but, time for them to get open. My God. That's- yeah. Yeah, so it's a cool spot downtown Okoe. Ivanhoe Park is uh on is I Ivanhoe. Uh like Ivanhoe right by Thirsty Topher, GB's, and Sick they're on location. the opposite end of the street of 1010. So that one strip of road, Virginia Avenue, has two legit, possibly three with Norris, uh legit craft beer bars and two breweries on one strip. Well, so, and, and then uh, which and great restaurants? Beer. Are you also including Brass Tap? That's also right there. Nope, I was okay. including Norris. So Brass Tap, you got Norris, you got GB's, Topher, you have Matador, which is more mm-hmm. of a restaurant, but still a kick restaurant. Place. Yeah, some yeah, some good beers though, but it has more. So, it's more cocktail oriented. But yeah, yeah, but great spot. So yeah, this. I wonder what he includes at Central Florida. But I would assume like maybe Greater Orlando. Right. Um. So my question would be, what's his uh, distance radius? But still, you know, the point, the point, and he's right, you know, we're growing very fast. 
the quality isn't there in my opinion yet, but I, I really do believe it will be hopefully sooner rather than later, you know? So, uh, what do you, I mean, Jeff, what do you think? I mean, Orlando's catching up in terms I think, of, in terms uh, yeah, of numbers. I think, I mean, the, the amount of times we've said that, you know, Orlando was the butthole of craft beer, which it was. I mean, this is now two years, two plus two, over two years two ago plus we started years, talking yeah. about this. And and back then, to see what it was then and what it is now um, and, and how fast it's growing, I can't, I can't imagine that there's any other part of the state that's growing that fast in the craft beer community. Um, most of them were already pretty established and they already had their reputations. If anything... I think they're still growing, but the buzz has kind of come off them a little bit. Like you don't hear about that Jacksonville market and that South Florida market and, and even the Tampa market as strong anymore. Um, we've talked about the hype coming off of Cigar City a little bit, and it's it's backed them down a little bit as well. Um, you know, Funky Buddha as well. I feel like there's a little bit less buzz around their product now. Um, so it's, it, I think the, the, the small, the, the number of smaller people creates a mass that's larger and more popular than the big breweries and mm-hmm. so that's kind of killed the buzz of of some of these other areas and i mean just reading this this little segment of this article two two opening by the time this episode airs like we just talked about they also have uh rock pit brewing tactical brewing uh sun creek brewing yep. um brewing so that's uh-huh. four more in the next two months that are also about to open They've got, uh, I mean, just it, it's, it's just blowing up and the central Florida area needs it. It's not, um, it's not like there's, there's too much yet. It's not oversaturated. So it's, it's good. It's a, it's a good thing for them. Keep growing. And what I've seen coming out of Orlando actually is mostly quality too, which I like, I think they're doing it. There's a lot of breweries that are doing very well. Whereas when we said this two years ago, we were saying how most of the breweries opening up were just kind of, nah, they were just getting by. Now it seems like a lot of people are doing really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, yeah, you brought up the second half of that. The point one was, you know, we said last episode that Orange County Brewers is opening an, a locate a tap room at the airport, a kind of like a brew hub kind of thing, a contract brewing, and then they're also opening a second location, a production facility. So they're mm-hmm. expanding, you know, two hundred percent, three hundred percent over the, the next. Year. Yeah, over the next four years, you know, the, the tap room and the airport is slated to open in 2021, but everything else is set to open later this year. You know, a, a production mm-hmm. facility, a whole other location, a contract room that's going to have a podcast room and all these other things. That's all opening by the end of the year. So it's Orlando's moving hella fast. But to the point you just made about it not being oversaturated, uh, the second point Kyle Arnold makes is it's not oversaturated by a long shot. Greater Orlando has just over a, a two dozen breweries now. The Tampa market has more than sixty, with a population o- only about twenty five percent larger. It's this kind of density that has birthed popular brands such as Cigar City and Coppertail. And he makes a valid point that I definitely agree with. Um, you know, Tampa is so crowded. South Florida is so crowded, and it's not like Orlando's not, despite the numbers. And we're Orlando's so large. We have so many people coming in and out of the city, whether it's traveling, visiting, whatever, to where I think Orlando can hold double that and still, you know, not be drowning itself. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Orlando, like you you kind of touched on what I was going to bring up about it. Orlando doesn't have a ton of permanent residents. Um, 
it's a huge city. It's geographically a huge city it, to the point that I'd even say it's possibly more spread out than Tampa, um, even though Tampa has a higher population. So that population in Tampa is is more one. It's, a lot of them live in the city. A lot of people commute in as well. But a lot more percentage of people that live in Tampa live within the city limits, whereas Orlando is a lot of commuters in and out. Um, and then you also have the fact that Orlando or the greater Orlando area, you're talking about just miles and miles and miles and miles of, of distance, Maitland and, and Lake Mary and all these places that I think count in the central Florida market and, and rightfully so. Um, yep. The Tampa Bay area has 60 breweries and they're much more confined into a few different, you know, little towns and stuff around that area. So no, is there or basically the amount of space that Orlando has to put breweries in geographically and also the amount of people that are living not directly in the heart of Orlando and commuting yep. in from these neighboring areas there, it would take, it would take a hundred plus breweries to oversaturate that market. Um, yeah. you know, cause it's just, you have, you've got 20 or so neighboring quote unquote towns or whatever in central Florida that each of them could have two or three breweries. And it was, you know, and, and that would still all be central Florida breweries and, those people all commute into Orlando. They're all part of the Orlando, you know, community. And they, they, you could easily put over a hundred breweries in Orlando and, and it wouldn't even, it would barely scratch the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And uh point three, which is probably my favorite point that he's made. And this is something that me, you have said, you know, mm -hmm. definitely off the show for sure. Um, and that, you know, once I jumped into, once I've left my marketing career and, and jumped in a crappier full time, this is even more so. And we preached it and we're going to preach it again. And Kyle hits it on the head. We're so smart, Jeff. Point number three, tap rooms are king. Tap rooms yes, or micro breweries are by far the most popular form of craft brew in Central Florida, with only a handful of brewers not selling beer directly to the public. Some shops like Crooked Can. Uh, in Winter Garden, let's customers uh, look right into the brewing process. Then he goes in the numbers. Selling a beer straight to the public at 5 to $7 a pint is much more profitable than canning or bottling beer. It usually costs about 60 to $0.80 cents a pint for ingredients to make a beer before labor and overhead. There are a handful of brewers putting their stuff on shelves, though. Crooked Can sells all over, as well as uh, Red Cypress Hourglass, uh, OBP, Barracuda, which uh, I don't know. No, it's Barriqua. Barriqua. So we said it. I've said, I know I've said on the show, tap rooms are where it's at. Um, the civil society model of all the amount of releases they do exponentially helps their growth to where in two years they're opening a second facility. The numbers just back it up. And it's going to lead to a lot of problems. I, I mean, we mentioned it a couple episodes ago how you know, distro is changing and it's going to fall apart. And the only, really the only brands breweries that are going to be in distro are the big ones, the national brands, the founders, the dogfish, yep. the, you know, the Sierra Nevadas, all these, all the, all these macro and, and small craft breweries are all going to do all can and bottle releases in their own tap room because their margins are so much better. They don't have to drop the price in order to sell a distro. It's a win-win. And the market is currently speaking to hyper local to where, Orlando people are going to go to Orlando breweries or if they're going to go to, you know, if they're going to Tampa, they're going to go to Tampa breweries to the tap rooms, not to the Tampa total wine or the Boynton beach total wine. They're going to go to the breweries themselves. And this is a great point of emphasis for breweries moving forward is it's all about the tap room, both what you can sell, how it looks and how it functions. 
there's my rant. <laughs> we've talked, I mean, we've talked about this and it was, uh, you know, I, I've been, you know, pretty open about you know, my experience with world of beer and things like that. Um, and not, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that that business model is necessarily flawed from the, from the ground up, but I think that the, they lost sight of what was making them cool in the, in the craft beer scene. And I think that a lot of those tap rooms and, and craft beer bars are kind of, if they don't see the writing on the wall, that it's not that they they don't have a place in the market, but the market's changing. People are going to breweries and tap rooms every time. Like not all, I mean, not, I can't say every time, but when I go out and I'm very in the craft beer scene, so is my girlfriend. We go out, we go to breweries. When we go to South Florida, we're not stopping at, you know, World of Beer down in Coconut Grove or whatever. We're stopping at breweries everywhere we go. We go to Saltwater. We go down to, you know, do South. It, when we go up to even we we make special trips up north and go into St. Lucie to go to breweries we've never tried before. We're not going out to all the local tap rooms all the time and trying beers that are all in mass distribution because that's just I mean it's cool if it's if you stumble upon it. I feel like that's what their market is is the casual beer drinker or the person who stumbles upon a destination or they're in a town and they want to go get a good beer and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. destination drinker who's going for the beer is going to tap rooms and breweries now. And they're trying because they want to give these people their money because they want to support what they're doing. And, and they also want to try beers they can't get anywhere else. And so exactly. the tap room concept, I don't want to say is dying. It's, I think it has a place, but it's just not going to be as popular as, I'm sorry, the, the, um, the, restaurant. the craft beer bar, restaurant, yeah. craft beer bar. That concept has a place. It's not dying, but it's not growing. Whereas I think the tap room and the destination brewery drinking is well on the rise. And your average craft beer drinker is starting to target going to more breweries and stop going to as many, you know, craft beer bars that are just, you know, bringing everybody's national distribution in. Right. Exactly. Uh, moving on to point number four, which is a point that I think we should probably talk more more on on a, on a later episode. Uh, number four, craft, but craft brewing is starting to show weakness. Nationally, the number of breweries and tap rooms are still growing, but there is an alarming 165 brewery closures in 2017. That's about, was it, one every three days, uh, including two in Central Florida with Hops Boss near Winter Park and more recently Reprise and Celebration. Uh, craft brewers say the high margins make it a profitable business, profitable business, but it's still business. And this is, <laughs> I feel fine. this number will, yeah, yeah, will start to grow once more and more breweries open. Sure. Um, and we've, we've talked about, about, yeah, we've talked about, I feel like every episode we say we've talked about it, but it's true. It's that at the end of the day, you know, I think people who are in the alcohol business can make a lot more bad or poor business decisions and still stay in business but taking that risk is gonna you know catch up with you eventually whether it's bad beer bad service uh shitting on people on untapped like we talked about in washington you know that stuff like that is very poor business decisions but as long as you make alcohol you tend to make money well this is starting to show that it's you know the in it's it's still growing. We're still in, in the black in terms of growth. Well, that red line is starting to catch up. And at one point, that line they're going to meet. And uh, you know, quality over everything. Quality's quality over everything. Here's what. I, so I have two points. One of they're kind of contradicting, but that's okay because I I do that regularly. Um, <laughs> that's the way my brain works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so two points. One, I almost think that it's really 
not, I don't want to say it's ill-advised to call this a weakness. I don't think that craft beer is showing weakness with 165 closings nationwide in one year. Um, that's really such a minimal number. When you talk about the fact that over a thousand breweries are opening every year, um, it just seems like, or, or maybe it's not that much anymore, but I know two years ago it was over a thousand breweries opening every year. So I don't know sure. what the number, the new numbers are, but they're, they're opening. They're opening like great. Like we just said, there's, there's, you know, six opening in the next month in central Florida. So you're talking about 165 nationwide closing in one year. I really think that's negligible. I don't really think that that's showing weakness. If anything, you have over 5,000 craft breweries in the country, 165 of them closing shows that the other 25% of terrible owners that didn't have any business getting into the business are still surviving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause even in restaurants, there's people who don't know what they're doing. And you have to assume that some of these breweries are people that don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the business. They don't understand. They just wanted to make good beer. They're home brewers that got into it for the, the craft of it. And they don't really understand the business of it. And those people are still keeping their doors open for the right. large majority. There was only 165 closings. Um, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So that doesn't really necessarily scare me. However, the last line, the high margins are making it a profitable business, but it's still a business. Exactly what I'm saying. People need to understand and treat restaurants or craft beer bars or breweries or anything in that field as a business. People get into it for all the wrong reasons. Everybody thinks that they can, I have the best recipe. My grandma's spaghetti sauce recipe is so good that everybody's going to come from miles around to come get it. And it's just not true. You have to know that it's a business and you have to make it profitable and run it properly. And that is going to be the weakness that craft brewing has is that a lot of people are getting into it, not knowing it's a business and just thinking the, the people will come because the beer is good. And it has been that way this whole time, but it's going to stop being that way when there's too many breweries. Right. And you're going to need to start running your business properly and learn about margins and learn about, pro, you know, about poor costs and learn about, you know, how to run the business, how to keep your, how to retain your customers, how to make them spend more when they're there, run it like a business. And then, then you might be profitable. You might stay around, Yeah. but there's exactly. a lot of people. I walk into a lot of these breweries and I'll think the tap room's cool. Service is good, but you can just tell there's not a lot of business knowledge behind it. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I still like their beer, but you just can tell like they're just kind of they're not getting everything they can out of it, kind of yeah. thing. Then you walk into a place like uh, what is it, Orange County that we're is that's opening up all the things, or Orlando, yeah, yeah, Orlando, yeah, right? No, or Orange County, Orange County. Yeah. You walk in there and it's like a well-oiled machine. You walk in and instantly know like these are business people. They know how to run a business, and that's why they're expanding as fast as they are because they just you walk in there and it is whether the beer you could the beer because is inconsequential at that point i knew that they knew how to run a business right location 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 <laughs> yeah. um the point i mean maybe with to to his point like 165 may not be a large number in the grand scheme of things but maybe include the amount of money invested you know sure. you're talking you know maybe that's a point he was looking at you know mentioning just didn't mention but breweries are expensive and, uh, you know, you lose, if you, you fall, you lose a lot of money mm -hmm. you're in a hole a lot. Uh, point number five, um, point I'm not really, I'm not, not really sold on, but we'll go into it. Number five, some breweries hide in hard to find places. The Orlando region's oldest brewery, Orlando Brewing is tucked away in an industrial district South of downtown Orlando. Deadly Sins Brewing is in another industrial park in winter park off of Fairbanks. 
and half barrel beer project is in the Vista K resort, which is essentially um, the Rosen area of I drive. Um, and there's a handful of breweries inside hotels and restaurants, but there are still some other breweries have open access from the Orlando city soccer stand with broken cauldron in downtown Orlando, like orange County brewers on orange Avenue, winter park, the bear and peacock and in mills 50 10, 10, and now Ivanhoe park. Mm-hmm. This point, I understand what he's trying to say, but if you're going to a brewery or if you're visiting, seeking breweries, you're going to find them. Google's oh, yeah. there. Google got your back. You're going to find the breweries. Are they going to be a pain in the ass to get to? Maybe sometimes, yeah, if you're not familiar with the area, but nothing's hard to find if you're actively looking for it. And not, yeah, only, that, phone. <laughs> not only that, it is an industry that people are targeting and, des- and making destinations to go to these places. So I don't believe necessarily that that really inf- – it's one of those weird businesses that location, location, location actually isn't king because people right. are really right. traveling to go to breweries. From you know, I travel an hour plus to go to a brewery I like. You know, yeah. so people will travel for it. I don't necessarily think it's you're not looking for foot traffic. Really, it's a niche market. The people who are coming are specifically coming for you. Um, you might get the people who stumble in occasionally, but I, I don't necessarily think opening up in a high traffic area directly benefits more than maybe ten percent of the business. Um, the, the other 90% is people that want to try you out because they heard about you or somebody said it was good or their untapped scores are good or the craft beer market's buzzing about you for some reason. Um, so yeah, I don't necessarily think that breweries that hide in hard to find places are necessarily a bad thing. There's some fantastic breweries I've gone to that you, you can't see them until you're in the parking lot right in front of them. Yeah. And then they're, and then they're, and then they're incredible, you know, like, oh, shit. Uh, AKA <laughs> rap, rap brewing. Yeah, we've yep. talked about a billion yep. times. You you don't know you're in their parking lot until you're in their parking lot. Yeah. You know, you throw, you have to drive 30 minutes out from anything to get out there, but it's worth the drive and people do it all the time. Yeah. So, and, and, and to that point, you know, it's a lot of other breweries help people. So I say, Hey, I'm at whatever, what else is around? Or if you're on the Facebook beer groups, you know, people I'm visiting Orlando. What are some brewery look? Other breweries recommend other breweries. Oh yeah, let's go here. Let's go. You know, I, I I agree with you with you know foot traffic would would if you're in a downtown location, you you will definitely get foot traffic. But I think that's that'll be such a minuscule percentage of your business to where people, like you just said, just to reiterate what you said, or you know, hey, Broken Collagen just released this new milkshake IPA. People are gonna already know where to get there. They're they're not gonna walk they're not gonna walk past it like oh what wonder what they got in here let's take a peek they're like, oh shit this this new beer got released i'm going there right now or or they have a can release and i think word of mouth is very crucial i think a good marketing focus is crucial absolutely i think again quality brewing quality things people will seek you out you know with breweries like civil society people from out of state have heard of civil society have made efforts to go to civil society or rap or angry chair or cigar city all these different breweries that you know local people who drink beer may not even know the breweries exist because they're that you know they're just normal i guess hobby drinkers yeah but people who actively seek don't stroll past a brewery and peek their head and they're actively googling or on untapped and you know looking at specific styles so it's i understand the point he's trying to make um yeah well, I, I'm I curious to know what kind of, how much percentage the foot traffic gets. It's, I, I mean, I'd give them 15%, maybe 20% if you're downtown. What, what I, I guess what it 
it'd be a question I'd love to find the answer to, and I don't know how you'd even find it, but your average drinker who is not a craft quote unquote craft beer person, do they go to craft breweries even if they stumble upon them? Because, you know, we know there's those, there are all those people that say, I only drink Bud Light. I only drink Coors Light. You know, those people that will not change, will not try craft beer. They don't want to know what it tastes like. They don't even care. They think it's foo-foo, whatever. They don't want it. So, whatever percentage of people that is, there's that part of the beer market, the people who will never try craft. Then there's the people who are open to it, but probably don't give a crap whether they drink craft or not. And then there's craft beer drinkers. So if you're in that probably majority of the craft market, probably significant majority of the craft market of people who I'll drink a good beer if I stumble upon it, but I'm not really actively seeking it. Do they go into a craft brewery if they pass it? Or do they go to a ale house where they can get different beers that aren't necessarily macros but are not necessarily craft or any you know what i mean like yes they're but they're like your shock tops and your blue moons and your things like that do they go to that kind of place or do they go to the craft brewery that's right next door you know because if if they're not if they're not going to the brewery then foot traffic really doesn't help you because all you're going to get is the same people you would have got whether you're in an industrial mall the people who are seeking you you know yeah that's true yeah that's that's a good point. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's a way to even prove that. Oh, hey, we're going we're downtown Orlando. Let's go to let's walk to Ale House, and you know those those drinkers walk past the brewery. Would they would they even stop? you like, hey, let's go here before dinner. Right. Uh, let's no, go no. try a beer. Let's go yeah. try something they have. I mean, I don't know if that. I guess that probably is dependent on the person, but I wonder yeah. what percentage of that middle majority of craft, of beer drinkers who are open to craft but really don't also drink Coors Light regularly. You know, that that large majority of craft beer, of, of beer drinkers, I wonder how many of them are open to going to breweries over an ale house, you know? Point number six, and the last two points are definitely uh, topics in alone themselves, uh, which, you know, one day soon, hopefully we get to we'll cover. We'll circle back, yeah. We'll circle back. Um, number six, brewers think they could grow faster with some help. Craft brewers think the, they... Now, there's a thing in the fucked up. Crappers think the industry can grow faster if they sell directly to bars, stores, and restaurants. Said so this guy, I'm not going to go into the whole. Florida has a deeply enshrined three-tier system that ma- requires manufacturers to sell to a distributor who in turn sells to retailers such as ABC, Publix, World of Beer, Brass Tap, whatever, what have you. Um, the system is meant to make sure that big beer manufacturers can't use their muscle with retailers to push out Smaller beer brands, which we'll be covering very soon, uh, but distributors are facing a growing wave of new local craft beer makers. 263 in the end of the year in 2017, including the Brewers Association. Craft brewers are also forced by state law to sign lifetime contracts with distributors, which means they can't switch if they don't think their distributor is promoting them enough. That's important. The simple solution craft beer sellers say is to let them sell directly to stores, bars, and restaurants and get rid of lifetime contracts. But allowing direct distribution would allow would would put corporate brewers at a disadvantage as they would still have to use distributors. Holy shit, what a loaded point. Loaded point. Now, fuck the three-tier system. I said it, quote me on it. I hate that shit. That is just a government's way to get extra money by taxing every fucking step of the process. Now, I understand a lot of people, own, you know, they pay their house to support their kids through their job at a distributor. I get it. But that system is fucking bullshit. 
It does not help local businesses. It does not help independent businesses grow. It should be get rid of lifetime contracts. That's bullshit. And let the breweries sell directly to Publixes and all these companies and bars. And that will allow them to make more money, which in turn will allow them to pay more people, which in theory would allow the people you would let go from distributors be hired on as sales reps, brewers, whatever the case may be. Jeff? I, I disagree. You- I disagree. Oh, I, disagree. No. I do. Oh, right, I, do. I hate the three-tier system just as much as the next guy. I think it's uh, it's definitely a government-placed program to make some tax money off of our, everything that they sell on different at every level. Um, but the three-tier system protects the small person. It does not protect the big guy. If if Budweiser, if if the macro guys were able to sell direct to businesses, their fleet of salesmen would be it's so big. The people they could afford would be insane. The amount of money they could sell their product for is significantly cheaper than anybody craft could sell their product for. They would price and muscle everybody out of the market if they could go direct to consumer. Um, it needs to be controlled this way. It needs to be it needs to give everybody a fair chance. Yes, it is messed up. Yes, there are distributors that are in like we talked about, incentivized to pay off to to put macro beers where they are. But imagine how much worse that would be if you could go direct to uh, uh Applebee's and say, I'll give you a million dollars or two million dollars or ten million dollars to only carry macro beers. The incentivizing a sales rep is one thing going direct to the pl- to the sale, to the sales center, going direct to the place where they're going to sell your product and bribing them is a totally different thing. And I, I the three tier system protects the small guy from that big money, those billions of dollars that could price them directly out of the market. So I, I think three tier system protects the little guy way more than it protects the big people. Let me, okay, let me ask you this. So most of the big breweries are in what they call lifetime contracts, which means it's a lifetime. They can't get out. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't you think craft breweries have the advantage because they're not in contracts? They can sell to whoever they want as much as they want. Have more control over price. I mean, they want to have more control over pricing because the big guys have way more money behind them. And they're in, but in the big guys aren't using the field. The thing is, a craft brewer making the same beer still wouldn't have the same advantage. If if a craft brewer tried to make Bud Light and use the same shit ingredients and tried to make it the cheapest beer possible, they'd still make it at probably 50% higher cost than Bud Light does because they buy in such quantities, such bulk. They've got the system set up and fine-tuned over 100 years of freaking making this garbage beer, you know? They have it perfected to the point that what is in that can is probably a penny's worth of beer. And a craft brewer making the same small batch or making it on that small scale with shitty ingredients, it would cost them so much more even to put out a a Bud Light. So, yes, I I think that, you know, the power is in the hands of the macro people and these lifetime contracts are are protecting are I don't mean they're not protecting anybody, but. I think the craft brewers being able to sell whoever they want and everything like that gives them a slight advantage to be able to jump around and do these things. But you also have to think the lifetime contracts mean that there are people who are dedicated to selling that macro brand forever, you know, and they know, they know it, they know it, they're behind it. It pays their bills. So they're going to push it. 
you know, that's why they do it. That's the advantage to them. Um, the craft brewers, if you bounce from distributor to distributor, you bounce from whoever to whoever, you don't have anybody permanently behind your brand. So that's not really a huge advantage. Yes, you might get it with somebody who's a little more passionate than the other person, but they don't, you know, how behind the brand can they be? Yeah. So let me ask you this. If the, the way the three-tier system works, you know, the brewery sells it to the distributor. The distributor adds their percentage. It can range from 20 to 30%, mm-hmm. which they would then sell it to the retailer bar, whether it's off-premise, on-premise. Who then, and who then adds their significantly would, higher percentage. Right. And they would mark it up a certain percentage. But sure. if the breweries are selling to the bars directly, that's just, in theory, all hypothetical, in theory, they could sell it for that that percentage cheaper, you know, and avoid those markups. So that $9 pint can be dropped down to a $7 pint, $6 pint. It would be so much cheaper than that, you wouldn't even know. It would, it, so, it, the amount of money that the supplier is selling the beer to the distributor at is so insignificant based on what, to, to what the consumer is buying it at at a bar. Like, like a quarter of what, you know? So yeah, they could price it a lot cheaper. Which would then make it more competitive because someone can get, like myself, can get Playa Linda's Key Lime Slice, which is amazing, you know, 30% cheaper at the store or at the bar. You know what I'm saying? So I that yeah. would be, the, you know, a craft, a local craft beer in theory, hypothetically, could be a dollar more at $6 a pint compared to a $5 Bud Light pint. But the five dollar Bud Light pint wouldn't be five dollars anymore. Now it'll be a dollar fifty because they're going to sell it to the they're going to sell it direct to the to the distribute or they're going to sell it direct to the restaurant for ten cents a can. But not if they're in lifetime contracts. But the lifetime contract wouldn't exist if the three tier system doesn't exist. Well, it would be maybe maybe not getting rid of the three tier system, but allowing breweries who are not in contracts to sell direct. Yeah, but then everybody would break their contracts. They can't because they're in lifetime contracts. Well, then you're just then you're actually actively seeking out a loophole to try to fuck over macro breweries, and then and then Pete Coors has a point to his whole Brewers Association oh, yeah, rant. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So I worked at ABC for a while. I mentioned the last episode. I was a beer for for one of my ABC stores, and our margins for a twelve pack of Bud Light was a dollar fifty. So for every twelve pack of Bud Light, we would make a dollar fifty on. Mm-hmm. profit so really our margins we made more profit off craft beer than big beer because the price was knocked down to where like i can buy uh, for example uh, a case of saga tux neapolitan milk stout for 44 dollars, and they come in six four packs and i would sell each four pack for 12 dollars. so my margins per case are a lot higher than a case or a 12 pack of Bud Light. But how many dozens of Bud Light cases do you sell for every bot or for every one case of that craft beer? That's the question. And obviously I don't have an answer for you, but that's the ultimate question of if craft breweries can sell direct and the beers are cheaper in theory, how would the turnover be with, the drop price in the craft beer compared to a quote unquote already lowered price for macro beer. Well, let me ask you this. So I, I know we're going like long on this, on this particular topic, but that's fine. Um, but essentially you're talking about 
take eliminating the three tier system so that the price comes down for the consumer, right? So that I right. can go to a craft beer bar or somewhere and get a beer from a local craft brewer at a severely discounted rate, which makes it competitive with macro. Right. Okay. If that were the case, wouldn't the beers be that price in their own tap room? Why are these beers not in their own tap room at a competitive price with a Bud Light? You still go to a craft brewer and you go to their tap room. It's never gone through a three-tier system. It's direct to consumer. It's still a $6 pint, $7 pint, $8 pint. Is it because they know they need to charge that because that's what everybody else is going to charge? Is it because they're greedy and they know they're making a huge margin? Or do they not have any interest in being price comparative to a macro beer? Really, you don't want to be in a bidding war with the macro beers because you, then you're just pricing yourself down where your margin goes astronomically high. Yeah, And, and like I said before, macro, macro doesn't need to worry about killing themselves. They could sell their beer for 30 cents a can and make a killing. Right. They're putting, they're, I don't know how much a Bud Light costs per can. I'd be willing to say they've got it down to pennies. Yeah, a nickel. Right. So they don't they don't worry about what the hell they you could give away bud light you know like they 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 would make money if they were selling bud light 24 packs at 5 bucks you know yeah. they don't they don't care yeah i see what you're saying and i mean a smart business owner a smart brewery owner wouldn't price themselves at macro price but they would price it high cheaper than what it is but high enough to where they can get it at the tap room for cheaper if and you're a dollar cheaper, but cheaper is cheaper. If you're if you're a tap room, if you're a brewery that has a tap room and you're in distribution, in you should distribution, you should know what your beer is being priced at local bars, and you should be a dollar fifty to two dollars cheaper a pint in your tap room, because right. you would actually be making the same margin either way. And right. so you should you should know that, and that way, one, you incentivize people to come direct to your tap room, which is where you make. If, even if you're making the same margin, you want people to come to your tap room. You want them to try more of your beers. You want them to drink only your beers. They go to a, a, a craft beer bar and they drink one of your beers. That's great. You made the same money as you made in their tap room, but then their next beer might be a different brewery or somebody else. Whereas if they're in your tap room, their next beer is your beer again. Right. So you want them to come to your tap room either way. Yeah. Um, so incentivize them to make your beer $2 cheaper, make the same margin, take the hit. You know, yes, you could charge the same as the craft beer bar next door, but then you're splitting your sales with the craft beer bar next door. Yeah. Your margins will always be best at your own tap room. Mm -hmm. They should be. If you know how to price your beer, the cheapest place to get Cigar City beer should be at the Cigar City's tap room twenty four seven or Red Cypress is the cheapest Red Cypress you can get. We should be at Red Cypress. It's in theory a fantastic idea until greed takes hold and then everybody starts seeing dollar signs and says man i could sell every keg i'm selling 75 beers for a slim or something and they're like i could sell that for a dollar more a slim 70 make 75 extra bucks per slim they're gonna do it and that's the problem is people get greedy with their prices they stop caring about margins and they start caring about dollars and yep. that's when everything goes out the window yep yep there's no way your tap room beer price should be the same as a bar in lakeland or exactly in but it happens that's, all the time happens. and that's yours. You're kicking yourself, you know, and that. that is, and that's one thing, like I said, the buzz around funky Buddha I was talking about earlier is kind of, it's a dull roar rather than a loud roar. Now people still love funky Buddha. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but one funky. thing I'll say, I love that. I love them. Uh, they're my favorite brewery to go to down South that just the brewery and everything, but I'll say their, their bomber releases, 
very affordably priced. They do a good job with it. They don't they don't price you like crazy when you go down to the brewery. Now the very special releases, yeah, like the super rare barrel aged stuff, you might be paying twenty bucks a bomber or twenty two bucks a bomber at the brewery, but that's something that's going to be thirty five dollars a bomber at ABC. Right. Um, when when uh, last snow released la- last year in the bombers, which I know they switched it to the to the smaller format now. Last year in the bombers, they were seven dollars a bomber at the brewery. Yeah, I bought a case. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I, I literally went and bought a twelve. I bought a case. I bought twelve bombers because I, you know, for seven dollars a bomber, we thought that was worth it. Was worth what you were getting. Um, if you were to go buy those, granted, the price did come down significantly from that year to the next year. But if you went to ABC and got those, those were twelve to fifteen dollars a bomber. So they they're smart. They know like we're making the same margin selling them for way cheaper at the tap room, but we're going to bring people from all over the state to the tap room to save six bucks. You know, like, yeah. and we do it. I drive 45 minutes to an hour to go down there to save myself six bucks on a bomber. <laughs> yeah. But you also go to, you know, other great breweries down there too, like water. Yeah, and, and I go for the experience of going there. Cause I enjoy yeah, going there. The day trip. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I went to Tampa last night for that reason. Went for to one day, day. Just going just for a couple <laughs> hours, went to Garagis meadery, Got some more surprises to bring down. Went to Hidden Springs. Got, went to Angry Chair. Like, and that's it. We didn't go to Total Wine. We didn't go to ABC. We went to the breweries and, and or meteries and, and tap rooms and had great stuff. Had a great time. So it's worth it. All right. The last point, point number seven, which is another topic I want to get into. Maybe have like a roundtable because this is important. This was my favorite of these topics. Yeah, and uh, something that we obviously support. Uh, both on the show and in our free time. Uh, number seven, the Female Brewers Club is growing. Orange County Brewers and Black Cauldron have female head brewers running operations, while more outfits have hired women as assistant brewers. There's also a group for women in the beer industry called Pink Boots Society to nurture those in brewing, business, marketing, and sales. So there's also beer groups. Um, shout out to uh, the Sanford Girls Pine Out, which is an organization for women who love to drink beer they have events at craft breweries and craft bars and essentially it's to promote women in the industry and and women to drink craft beer and and to enjoy you know kind of like a girl power thing and and not be uh sexually harassed or made comments towards (laughs) which is a sad reality in 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 brewing as well in the beer industry as well women oh my god women do look down upon so the fact that these two breweries uh sanford girls pine out uh i know ellipsis has a female owner the organizations and, and businesses like that are doing more for not only women's rights but women's rights in the workplace as long as women's rights in the brewing industry or is, is paving the way and really making it you know more acceptable and, and more open and inviting and that's i think that's awesome and kick-ass well uh, yeah and it's one of those things that you know these women that are craft beer people that are coming in and drinking these craft beer, they're, they're, there's not a set style or a girly style anymore. Um, you know, I'm very open about the fact that I can crush ciders. I love them. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm a new wizard wit or wizard wit. I'm a wit beard person. I drink white, you know, all these beers that people would suggest to a woman uh, before, which is kind of an absurd thing now to think about because how many times at world of beer did we sell people you know, a guy and a girl come in on a date and it's a double IPA and a framboise and the dude's drinking the framboise, you yeah, know, yeah, there's no, yeah. 
more than you think it happens all the time it happens it it happens way more often than you would ever imagine um and and so for the women getting into beer it's just or the women getting into brewing beer and owning breweries and things like that it's no surprise to me it's uh it's a market that's definitely something that really if you think about it plays very well into um kind of a, a woman's hands it's something that we're we're taking what i would call you know kind of rough manly beer or whatever it is this uh, macro beer and what the beer world was and we're putting a, a finished polished touch on it we're making it worth drinking and we're making it better and that's something that i think most women could get on board with and trying to take these terrible beers that nobody likes and, and making them interesting and exciting and, and good so um yep. it doesn't surprise me at all that that women are kind of jumping on it and i mean you see you're in the central florida beer group on uh on or on facebook, facebook. Yep. tons yep. of women in that group on and on following our page tons of women following our page um you know probably because we're just so handsome and everything but you know yeah yeah speak for yourself but, <laughs> but there's women in this in this industry there's women that are are very much into craft beer and it doesn't surprise me at all that that number is growing especially in the central florida market and i think that it's going to continue to grow um you know or like they said i'm glad they mentioned it orange county has a a female head brewer and their beers are are fantastic what what is there to say that women can't brew beer better or better or as good or better than men can i mean yeah it's just a stereotype that people think that beer is for men but it's not anymore yeah um and it hasn't been for a very long time in fact the only was was because we were the ones stupid enough to drink macro beers when that was all that existed (laughs) yeah yeah and as the industry evolves too and and more styles are being introduced and and more flavors are being experimented with you know rosé beer and now there's like a fucking pinot grigio ipa and shit like as more of that thing more of those kind of styles and, and new flavors are kind of being introduced more and more women are gonna you know jump over from the wine into beer because Oh, there's a beer that's made with rosé, or there's a an IPA that has Pinot Grigio barrels, or like some more. This that number that's already growing is going to keep growing because, you know, I hate to say it, I'm going to say it, but New England IPAs, the haze, is very approachable for all all men and women if you don't like beer. Right. Well, that's it. I was kind of making that point or trying to make that point that there's a ton of styles now that are approachable for anybody whether you like beer or not. Um, right. And now that beer has changed into what it has, beer isn't what beer used to be. People, what they used to view beer as. Um, and that has opened the door to women and to other people who were not beer people before to, to jump on board. Um, but also, those same things you're talking about are also marketed and enjoyable, and I actually have jumped on board with almost all of them, uh, to men. Yep. And, and so it's not just for women, a uh, Pinot Grigio IPA. I'll drink that. You yep. want to tell me about these white claw seltzer waters? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm drinking hard seltzers all the time. So yeah. you know, all the hard water, uh, you know, so it's it, there. Anything is anybody's game in the craft beer world. It's a super awesome, you know, community to be involved in, which I feel like we've kind of stopped talking about just how awesome craft beer, the whole culture is because it's, gotten a little convoluted it's gotten a little you know water murky in recent years with its growth and it's gotten to the point where we've been frustrated with it at times and we've been upset with it but at the end of the day it's still just such an awesome community to be a part of and 
you know, you make something that is quote unquote girly beer or whatever. And then you find out that men everywhere are loving it. You know, who would have ever thought these coconut beers and these things that were, <laughs> I guarantee were talked about originally in the beginning, we need a beer that's approachable for women. Let's make something that tastes like a mounds bar. You know, I guarantee <laughs> that that conversation happened. And then it turned into this amazing beer that everyone is everyone, men and women alike are, are searching for. Um, they, it's just, that's the, that's, what's awesome about this community is, is, you know, ciders took off like crazy men and women, you know, we, we, we've done shows at freaking cideries, like, and we enjoyed them and we had a great time. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's an awesome community and people are just so supportive of of everybody. People like what tastes good. And that's, that is the end of the day. We will drink what tastes good, whether it's directed or marketed or made for women or men or whoever will drink what tastes good. And women are the same way. They'll crush some Imperial stouts. They'll crush some double IPAs. They'll drink the funkiest Belgians and, and then they'll bring their boyfriend out to have some ciders with them. And that's just the way the world, (laughs) and that's the way the market has become. And I love it. It's, it's just really, really awesome, awesome segment of, of the drinking industry um in the nightlife industry and, and i couldn't be happier to, than to be a part of that yeah absolutely and it's, it's so funny it's it's i get so much shit even to this day about the fact I, how much i love cider and i do i still stand by, i love cider and we went to we went to our complex and, and drank cider and, and uh, a brewery could be like hey guys like we got this really approachable like kind of for women beverage that you know we'll be the first to be like this shit's fucking delicious <laughs> it's <laughs> on know? point i'm on it Five out of five. <laughs> and that's it. It's funny, too, because when you start in the craft beer, especially when World of Beer, they try to, like, teach you kind of find your palate and what beers you like because, you know, you're you're basically steering yourself in the, when you're learning into do you like the Belgian-y kind of yeasty stuff? Do you like the malty yep. stuff or do you like the hoppy stuff? That's, like, yep. the three main, the major umbrella categories. Um, and so, like, when you're trying stuff and you're like, oh, I don't, you know, I like Bud Light. I don't really know what I like. And then you start trying things and you find out that you're a malt person or that you're a hot person. Ultimately, eventually, I feel like if you keep drinking enough beer, you're going to become an everything person. That's just, it seems like that's the evolution. Unless you, unless you hard nose yourself and say that you just don't like it something and then you're not open to it. Um, but it starts like that. And I feel like everybody now, we're just open to so much that we just want to drink whatever tastes good. And we just, you know, we go in and I'll drink ciders all day. I don't mind that at all. I'll drink. Like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. And the stuff that's marketed, the stuff that's marketed or designed supposed to be for women or approachable for beginners and all this stuff. You, you drink so much beer over the course of like, a, especially if you work at a, in craft beer like we did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you drink so much beer that eventually you get to the point where there's just that day where you're like, you know what? I just want a cider. I just want a white wheat or I just want a lager. So you end up trying a few hundred lagers a year and you end up loving them and you like, you know, and you end up trying these beers you wouldn't in a style you didn't like, and you end up loving them. So it just, it it just, nothing is off the table, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and I, I saw that topic at the end as the last topic was for the seven was the women getting, uh, numbers growing in central Florida for the craft brewing. And I just was like, that's such a great sign for craft beer. Absolutely. It's a great sign for central Florida craft beer. Um, and it's just, it, it's really, to me, like that shows more than the is craft beer in trouble one. Like this right. shows yeah. me that the growth is real and it has some staying power and it's going to stick around for a while because 
they really know what they're doing and the community is built around people that are going to take care of the product. They're going to take care of what's good. So yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I'm behind the bar pouring drinks mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh man, what am I going to do with my ship here? What do I want? I'm looking, I'm looking, you know what I'm fucking feeling? An MIA hard water key line. Hell yeah. Like, dude, you have this, you work here. you like, you run the tap room. You have this, you know, crap your podcast. You're drinking a hard seltzer. I'm like, yeah, dude, shit's good, bro. <laughs> and, and, and we talked about it on the show. <laughs> yeah, good, Throw shade. I don't care. I got my sunglasses on. You know what? That shit does, I'm, well, I'm too old. Like I've been, I've been drinking crap beer for nine years. Like I'm just an old grandpa. Like I don't fucking like, I love Bud Light. Judge me. I love yeah. hard water key lime. Judge me. Like, I don't care. Like I, I like what I like. I'll say it, the more that this catches up with the female thing, hopefully the, the less that it happens where people uh, immediately assume that a woman coming into a brewery is going to want to order something that's fruity and girly or whatever. Yeah. Um, we do run into that occasionally, not all the time, but there's been bars where we go to where, where people assume Cassie wants something that's a girly beer when she can crush beers better than I can. Um, well, she'll just shotgun canned wine in the car. Come on. Well, whatever. I mean, she'll drink. She'll drink any. She'll drink any beer that I can drink, and she probably drinks it better than me. So, and then, you know, but then there's people. There's people who just automatically assume, like, oh, well, you know, do you have you ever had a have you ever had the saison? Have you ever had this, you know, white wheat? So hopefully that is a, a thing of the past, or is starting to become a thing of the past. That the craft beer community understands that there are these women who are very into craft beer, all styles. They can, you know, drink and brew and and enjoy anything the same that we can. And, uh, and hopefully that kind of stops. And a lot of times it's actually women bartenders or women servers that are making those calls. And that kind of is like a little infuriating, but, um, but it's either way, I understand it because we were kind of taught that too at world of beer to judge if somebody's a newbie or whatever, and try to steer yeah. them to the lighter stuff. So mm -hmm. I understand where it's coming from, but you, you just ask the right questions and maybe not assume that everybody doesn't know what they're talking about. And so right. you can figure out what somebody actually wants, yeah. you know? A, a woman comes into a bar who drinks, you know, who drinks craft beer. They don't want to be insulted when they're going for an imperial stout, and you tell them that there's a site, a nice cider on tap. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. Oh well, I, I want this twelve percent Rocky Road from Angersure. Oh well, we have this. I don't know, fucking pear cider. Like, no, I want fucking. That's what I want. Fucking give it to me. That's shit I can't stand. You know, like if yeah. someone orders it, fucking give it to them. Like, or at least maybe offer them a sample if, if oh have you had it before no then let me try to give you a sample right no, don't assume oh because a woman walks in she's gonna want red wine or whatever the case is so but i agree with you i think it's slowly i think it's it's slowly going away it's, it's on the up and up and mm -hmm. i'm very excited to see what happens especially with all this growth in the central florida area and and everything moving forward and you know women have a place for sure absolutely oh my god yeah and a lot of the time they're the ones suggesting drinks for us because they're mm -hmm. behind the bar. So with that said, I think it's a good time to wrap up. Um, Jeff, you got anything to plug? Not really. No, I'm just, uh, I've been working my butt off and just happy to be on the show and get a little break from everything and shut my mind off for a second. Get to talk with you about some craft yeah, beer, man. It's been fun. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give a shout out to, uh, we have a listener who actually swung by Black Marlin last week. No, yes. why didn't they, they didn't talk to me? He said, shout out to John. Uh, I comment on your untapped because you checked in the Black Marlin had a the uh, jittery, jittery me. Hell yeah, that's such a good beer. Jamaican me and, jittery. Uh, yeah, Jamaican awesome me jittery. I commented, hey, was Jeff there? He said, I was. He goes, I was looking for him, but he wasn't working. Was going to say hi. So, 
all right. I'm going to relay John's high to you. Hey, John. And uh, thanks Fantastic. for coming to Black Marlin. I Marley. hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, let me know. Hit me up on uh, on Facebook or message the page. Let me know if everything was good. And if it was, leave uh, leave a comment on Black Marlin's page and, and review us. If it wasn't, then don't. But just private message. No, I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed everything. I'd love to hear back from you about your experience there, what you had, and everything. So hit, hit us up on the page, and, and and I'll definitely get in contact with you. But I'm really glad you stopped in. Appreciate the support for sure. Yeah. So uh, Black Marlin, I, I, you know, in downtown Stewart, be sure to swing in. They got good food. Good everything good beer uh they have great shipyard on tap because <laughs> i saw that video i saved that video of you being interviewed it's, for shipyard. Not, it's not on tap anymore guys don't worry about that <laughs> <laughs> that was just for the video that was just for that awesome commercial yeah, but yeah head on down to job, uh though, right? saved it. Did, i did a good did. uh I look good your on pour that. is kind of lackluster there's not a whole lot of head on it but i, I didn't pour it ass. that wasn't my pour Okay. All right. Full pass on. See the pa- see the hand. The hand had long sleeves, and then if you see the interview, I don't ever wear my sleeves long. That was somebody yeah. else pouring that beer. They yeah. they tried to make me look foolish. Those idiots. <laughs> they also had you under bar manager, which is funny. Yeah. Um, right. You got demoted. <laughs> I got demoted in, in my own promo yeah. video. Yeah. But head on over to Black Marlin downtown Stewart. Swing by. Jeff is there literally all the time. Uh, yeah. Pretty much every day we're open. <laughs> yeah. It's be like it's walking like hey yo hollywood <laughs> don't do that don't call do that thing. please do that actually <laughs> i would enjoy that very much hey yo hollywood <laughs> but head on down to black marlin and down to stewart check them out on facebook uh i think you guys have a website too we certainly do yeah there. uh try blackmarlin.net blackmarlin.net take a picture of your food instagram it tag black marlin leave a good review jeff hawks it He's very serious about Black Marlin, so if it's good, leave a review. If it's not good, tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, check out atthebarpodcast.com. Our website has all of our uh, videos, uh, a little bit of history, bios on both Jeff and myself, and it has links to all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, it has our store, so make sure you guys buy shirts, which I got to work on tonight. Um, get that retro shirt it's cool as hell yeah it's got that retro shirt it's fucking badass i'm ordering a bunch of shirts for myself tonight because i have none of our sh- I, correction i have one of our shirts and it's too tight because i'm a mm. fat piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> but as always thanks again for listening to at the bar podcast find us on facebook twitter instagram and let us know what you think we are the top five podcast every bartender should listen to why did i not p- plug that oh man that's awesome you can yes. plug it go ahead and plug it plug it yes so we were we were voted as the top five podcasts that you should listen to if you're in the industry uh by an Instagram. australian news outlet <laughs> an australian news that is blogging for a company out of new york city so we were just we, we were global dis- we are yeah we're all over the place man so yes we were voted as the top five podcasts to be listening to if you're in the industry um I thought that was just incredible. This is something that we had no idea was coming. This is uh, that we didn't even know that they were looking at us. I don't even know how they found us. Apparently they found us the same way you guys found us, which is just um, luckily to get to be graced with our presence every day. Um, but, but yeah, 
Very happy, very proud to be uh, part to be included in that, and, and some really great prod- podcasts were included on that list with us. Um, and just honestly, it was it, it was something I told Mike. I was like, "This is the one of the best milestones we ever hit on on the show. It's just so awesome." Um, and, and I was I was floored by it. So thank you for that. Yeah, it, it was it was uh, shocking. Like I I was blown away by. It. I was about to go to bed, and my phone went off with an alert saying that I was like, "What the fuck." I'm looking like, oh my god, <laughs> what the, what's happening? Oh my goodness! I I text Jeff. I'm like, dude, you will not believe what just happened. And it was, oh man, I can't, I can't, I can't even tell you how much that meant for us, for me, and and I, I would assume Jeff the same. You know, we put a lot of effort, even though sometimes it doesn't seem it. And you're right, um, but we put a lot of time and effort into the show for now two plus years, and to get that kind of recognition by an outlet not even in orlando like they're in the other side of the world oh, or yeah. new york whichever you know and and one and who that, didn't even contact us for anything yeah. they just surprised they, us so they i never met the person never it was just a tag on instagram when they never emailed us had no idea what was happening and, and it happened and definitely a probably a top two moment for me for sure with the show that that we've managed to do together um the other being sam got johnny duh mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> but so that just so you guys know that that um that uh blogger that blog that about us is uh meet the people uh is the blog you can look it up it's uh the top five podcast if you're in the industry uh fantastic stuff they they're they're awesome writers there too as well so it was a very good very good little article but we were just so happy to even be included in it yeah so uh as always i mean all the social media that check meet the people.co Check out all of our friends uh, that we mentioned this episode. Um, Sanford Girls Pine Out, uh, Accomplice Cidery, you know, everyone that we've we've mentioned here. Black Marlin, of course. But we're gonna wrap up there. Plugs are over. I'm Mike. That's Jeff. And until next time, we will see you at the bar. Bye. Cheers.